is good tonight as we feast on the word. Brother Van Gelderen, you come, please. All right, thank you. Galatians chapter 2 in the word of God tonight. Galatians chapter 2. Good to see you tonight. And uh, you may have noticed there is a table there in the back. Pastor mentioned this morning we have a ministry called Revival Focus. Uh, RevivalFocus.org, you can find us there. There's a blog and so forth. We have uh, some books that are really dealing with the very uh, emphasis that we have here in the meeting. In the Sunday School Hour, I started out by telling you some stories of what God's doing right now. And uh, that would be more the outpouring of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is when God fills you with His life. That's what we're honing in on these days. The outpouring of the Spirit is when God fills the atmosphere with His life. And there was a corporate revival. So there's a book on the table called The Revival Journey. And this would be dealing more with corporate revival. Though obviously you have overlap. But there are discernible phases of revival. Discernible in the scripture. And of course illustrated throughout church history. And it all starts when somebody or someone, sometimes it's a group of people, begin to realize there must be more. See, that's where it starts. When people realize, you know, I'm, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, but you know, there's, there's got to be more to it this side of heaven. And that awakening to need is where our many revival journeys are launched. Uh, much more could be said, but that takes you into phase two, which is seeking God. Seeking God's reviving presence. And the Bible says repeatedly, when you seek him, he will be found of you. Put it in New Testament terminology, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And over and over again, the scripture repeats that, and uh, much more can be said there. Then the uh, third chapter, or third phase, is uh, what I like to title, God Has Come. I take those words right out of the history books, uh, because many times when God has moved in a uh, way where he pours out his spirit, that is where he manifests his presence, uh, people will say, God has come. Can you imagine an atmosphere where the enemy, Satan and his cohorts, are dispelled completely, bound, and the Holy Spirit is displayed? In an atmosphere like that, every lie, see all lies come from the father of lies, the devil. If you get the enemy out of here, all those strongholds of wrong ways of thinking that we hang on to that, that, that are opposite what God says... All of those lies crumble down to the ground without the enemy holding them up. <laughs> and so you can imagine an atmosphere where Satan is bound, uh, the Holy Spirit is displayed, the lies crumble, and that's when the Word of God has free course, the Scripture says. It's unhindered. And it's glorified. In other words, it's weightified. It's given its full weight. See, often we just get desensitized. <laughs> But I'm going to tell you something. When you have an atmosphere where the enemy is, he's got to get up in the grandstands and God comes down on the field. All of a sudden you're sensitized. That's why you read in the revival accounts, sometimes people literally cry out to God for mercy and find it. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so that's uh, a phase three. That's a wonderful study. So that's kind of what I was alluding to this morning at the beginning of Sunday School Hour. Phase four is brokenness. When we uh, get honest with God. In other words, when Isaiah saw the Lord, then he saw himself and said, woe is me. And when we get desensitized, because we don't have a proper view of the Lord, that's why we need the outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, but when that happens, not only do you see the Lord for who he is, you see sin for what it is. And the blood is the cleansing power, as you sang tonight, to wash away, to cleanse and renew. You know, when we get honest to God, with God, the blood of Jesus cleans us all up. It's a wonderful truth. And when that happens, brokenness is the way into blessing, which is phase five, and that's life again. Revival. Re again, vive life. Life again, restoration uh, to life again, spiritual life, the life of, of Jesus in you, now accessed as the animating power to your personality. I'm going to tell you something, friends. When Jesus is animating you, you're in revival. <laughs> and so on. Well, I mentioned this morning in the, uh, yeah, Sunday school hour, <laughs> getting the two messages mixed up, a story about my grandmother and the river and uh, she cried out and so forth. Uh, that's in this little biography of her called The Prayer That Makes a Difference. And uh, this is just some of the stories of answers to prayer uh, in her life. One of the dear ladies in uh, one of our meetings of a, 
a uh, number of years ago now, got stirred. She heard some of those stories. She has a uh, publishing company, and she got stirred to write the biography of my grandmother and did a beautiful job of it, and she got it, uh, has it here nicely uh, bound in hardcover. Uh, but that's just uh, some of those stories of answers to prayer uh, with simple childlike faith. And uh, then there's a little book on the table called Experiencing Jesus. And the subtitle is Personal Revival Through the Spirit for Life. And uh, tonight, uh, we're going to look at the major passage in this book is what we're looking at tonight. Now, the book covers more than what we're going to be able to cover tonight, uh, but uh, a lot of overlap in what we're going to look at tonight. But uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, Christ in us, the eternal life is the eternal life of Jesus. So eternal life is not something, it's someone. And when you trust Christ, you receive his eternal life. Revival is when that life is accessed as the abundant life. And when that happens, you are experiencing Jesus. And so tonight, Galatians chapter 2. Hope you had a good afternoon. How many of you got a nap in this afternoon? Let's see, my wife and I and uh, <laughs> three others. Okay, well, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm a preacher's kid. My da- I have two brothers, two sisters. My dad made us take a nap on Sunday afternoon. I think it was so he could take a nap, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's just kind of in my system, and uh, I was just uh, checking on that to see who could not raise their hand, uh, so I can be watching you in case you're tempted to take a nap now. <laughs> All right, Galatians chapter 2 in the scripture tonight. What a text this is. It really is an amazing text. This takes Romans 6, 7, and 8, the most detailed section on the spirit-filled life, and encapsulates it into one verse. In fact, God used Galatians 2.20 to open the way for me personally to begin to understand Romans 6, 7, and 8. We sang tonight just a few moments ago, Christ is enough for me. Now, bottom line is Christ is enough. The question is, is he enough for you? Yes, he's enough. We know that intellectually. But is he enough for us? You know, anytime we presumptuously sin, we're saying he's not enough. Right? We're saying that sin is going to satisfy us more than Jesus, which is a big lie, because every time we go that path and we buy into that deceitfulness of sin, we soon find ourselves all bound up. Well, that's not satisfying. But all when you access Jesus and that liberated life of Jesus and the freedom that's in Christ and the joy that comes when his life is animating your personality, I'm going to tell you, that is satisfying. Well, then why are there times when we just ignore all that and we just do our own thing? I'm convinced that it's because we're not convinced Jesus is enough. If we were, why would we ignore him? That's why Romans 6 says, reckon yourselves. Another way to say that is allow the Spirit of God to convince you that the provision of Jesus is enough let's do that tonight shall we let's allow the holy spirit of the living god to convince us that jesus is enough so that we can sing christ is enough for me let's read our text and we'll have a word of prayer galatians 2 and verse 20 the apostle paul writes under inspiration i am crucified with christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The title of the message tonight is Experiencing Jesus. Will you pray and let's ask the Spirit of God to truly open our eyes and to convince us of the provision, the all-sufficient enough provision, more than enough provision of Jesus. Blessed Holy Spirit, we need you tonight to truly be our teacher. Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, knock out deception. Knock out the lies of the enemy. And Lord, may we see Jesus as truth personified who makes free. Oh, Lord. May we see this amazing, more than enough provision of Jesus, even this side of heaven. And so I plead the blood of Jesus that we sang about tonight to protect it from the attack of the enemy who seeks to hide what we're about to look at. 
Now, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne, far above all principality and power. In your name, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this hour tonight and in this service and trust you that that not be allowed. May your victory be gloriously manifest. Lord, we declare that you are Lord and Satan is defeated. And I pray that for everyone here tonight and beyond, your victory would be gloriously manifested. So, Lord, do the liberating work that we need in our hearts, the convincing work. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I was teaching a course on sanctification at the Reformers Unanimous headquarters in Rockford, Illinois. Reformers Unanimous is a faith-based addictions program, and uh, they have a number of people come from all over the country, and uh, they're there for a period of months. And uh, many of those that come through the program, uh, if they can, uh, they stay in the area because they've started a Bible college that's really just for them. It's like a a continuation of discipleship. And uh, uh, that's where I was teaching in a module uh, on sanctification. And what a joy. I mean, you know, when you have people that have been, you know, bound by some addiction or whatever, and uh, now they've been in the program and uh, God is opening their eyes and they're experiencing uh, uh, the power of Jesus on a whole new level, I'm telling you, they're hungry. <laughs> and uh, they're, not, they're not making excuses. And it's, it's just it's wonderful audience to have. And I remember there was a couple there from New York State, uh, Indians, from an American Indian reservation. And they had come to... Uh, uh, are you uh, for the addictions program and had gone through the program and were now uh, out of it and were in this uh, college setting. And the lady was an astute mind and she would ask all sorts of questions, a teacher's delight because they were great questions. And I remember we were dealing with the provision that we're going to look at tonight. And at the end of that section, we were actually walking through Romans 6, 7, 8, the more detailed version of it, but the same truth. At the end of that section, she raised her hand, and I could tell something had really caught her attention, and she had this quizzical look on her mind, just baffled. And I called on her, and she said, you mean we don't have to sin? I said, well, ma'am, if words have meaning and if language has integrity... The provision that we have in Jesus is actually that good. And she began to weep. Now, what do we mean? Well, let's look at it tonight. Is it possible to go from being regularly defeated, surprised by victory, (laughs) to being regularly victorious, surprised by defeat? Friend, if our text is true, then yes, absolutely, that is possible. Rosalind Goforth served the Lord with her husband, Jonathan, in the country of China uh, a century ago. Uh, These were dedicated missionaries uh, from Canada to China. And uh, uh, God was blessing them and using them. And Rosalind was very much a part of the ministry. She was a a hard worker. She was energetic. She had a, a very energetic personality. And at times it became a snappy personality if you know what I mean, and she'd get irritable and quick-tempered and there would be tension among the workers and uh, you know how it goes. And it got to the point that the Chinese workers, the Christian workers there in the mission, didn't want to be around Rosalind. And it broke her heart. And she longed for victory. And she knew there was a victory, but she knew not how to access that victory. Wow. Maybe you're in that scenario. You long for victory, some area. Maybe it's being quick-tempered like Rosalind. Maybe it's being irritable. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's some addiction or vice, whatever the case may be. And you long for victory. And somehow you know, yes, that you know there, there's got to be victory, but how? And in those months of longing. Ah, yes, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness, the scripture tells us. In the goodness of God, they were back in Canada on a furlough. She was at a Bible conference in Niagara-on-the-Lake, and she heard a preacher by the name of Charles Trumbull preach. And something in what that man said grabbed her attention, so she went back to the book table, and she was looking at some of the books, and there was a sermon there by Trumbull in print on Galatians 2.20. It's called The Life 
that wins. You can still find it today in the book called Victory in Christ. It's chapter 2. And uh, she uh, got that little sermon and she uh, took it home and she was reading it out loud to her family. And in that sermon, uh, Charles Trumbull gave his own testimony how that for 25 years, as a Christian worker, saved and serving the Lord for 25 years, he said he was defeated. Hmm. Oh, he said others would have looked at me and said, my, what a fine example of a Christian worker. Look at all that he does. And yet he was honest enough to say there were things down in his heart that shouldn't be there. And that even though there was all the activity of service, there was a powerlessness. There was a lack of carrying power. Something was missing. And he goes on in his testimony to describe a truth that God used to radically revive him and transform him. And in that part of the message, he made a statement that arrested the attention of Rosalind Goforth and changed her life. <clears throat> this was the statement. Trumbull said, I finally came to realize that Jesus Christ is actually and literally in me. That was the statement. Now, Trumbull already knew that Jesus was in him, but you know you can know something and not know it. Rosalind already knew that when she got saved, Jesus moved in. But that statement, I finally came to realize that Jesus Christ is actually and literally, not just figuratively, literally in me. The more she thought on it, the more excited she got because she was thinking, well, you know, Jesus is all sufficient. Jesus never fails. Jesus can handle any temptation. He was tempted at all points like as we, yet without sin. And that same Jesus lives in her. And she got to thinking about that. And she got excited. Wait a second. Jesus knows how to handle this. Jesus is sufficient for every time I'm provoked. Jesus is sufficient for every temptation, every provocation, every trial. And I'm going to tell you, when she began to realize that Jesus was actually and literally in her, that that convincement of that truth, just, you know, when you're actually convinced, then the, uh, the obvious response is faith. And she began to access and experience Jesus. And so real was the change and transformation that began to take place in her life that when she got back to China months later, so real was the change that the Chinese workers got a representative to go and talk to Jonathan and ask, what has happened to Rosalind? <laughs> She's changed. She doesn't get mad at us anymore. She's not quick-tempered anymore. What happened? <laughs> well, friends, what happened is she began to experience Jesus. She already had Jesus. Now she began to experience Jesus. You see, the reality of the spirit-filled life is when the spirit fills you with the life of Jesus Christ so that you are experiencing Jesus. Now, if you're saved, Jesus is already in you. And since Jesus lives in the believer in Jesus, then you and I must by faith experience his victorious life. Now, what makes this possible? I want us to see in the text tonight four truths. Number one, crucifixion. And the Apostle Paul here writes in that first phrase, I am crucified with Christ. Uh, he's writing something that is true of every believer. If you're here tonight, you're saved. In other words, if you, are, if you have understood that sin is the problem, hell is the consequence, Christ alone is the answer, and you made a simple choice to depend on him to save you, at that moment, not only were your sins forgiven, not only was his righteousness credited to your account, not only did you receive his eternal life, but at that moment, there was this application of crucifixion. I am, literally, have been crucified with Christ. In other words, if you're saved, what Paul says here is true of you. Now, what does it mean? Crucified with Christ? Death with Christ? What does that mean? Well, crucifixion is all about death, so we need to ask a couple of questions. Because if you're crucified with Christ, that means you died with Christ. And so we need to kind of ask a few questions here. What part of you died? What part of you got killed? Isn't that a fair question? We need to know. Now, the human constitution is made up of body 
and then soul and spirit. So if you can think of three concentric circles, kind of gives us a, you know, like the uh, Target uh, uh, logo <laughs> on the store, uh, three concentric circles. The outer circle is body, and then the next circle is soul, and the next circle is spirit. Now, physical death is when the soul gets separated from the body. As far as I can tell, that has not happened for those in this audience. <laughs> Which means we're not talking about your soul or your body when the scripture says I'm crucified with Christ. There's only one part of you left. It's your spirit. That's the part that's being talked about. And you know the Bible labels the human spirit prior to salvation as the old man. Romans 6.6 6 is a parallel verse, and it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ. So it tells us what part. It's the old man. And so again, since the soul, uh, uh, physical death is the soul separating from the body, that hasn't happened. That means the old man is your unregenerated human spirit. So the old man is not your dad. Hope you don't use that terminology. The old man is your unregenerated human spirit. And that's the part that was crucified. Let's go further. The essence of death is separation. So if your old man, your human spirit, died, was crucified with Christ, then what did it get separated from? What union got separated? What relationship got severed? Okay, let's go back to the uh, concentric circles. We have the outer circle, body, and then the next circle, soul, and then the smallest circle, spirit. That's the old man. Now draw another circle in your mind's eye uh, that uh, kind of uh, overlaps that, other, that, uh, that smallest circle. And uh, so that means it's going to be within the soul, body, bigger circles. We have the old man that is joined to an old master. The old master is indwelling sin. In other words, in Romans 7, two times the scripture refers to sin which dwelleth in me. Now notice carefully. Not sins. Plural. Actions. As in Romans 1 through 5. But sin singular. As in Romans 6 through 8. Which is personified in Romans 6 as someone who is served. And that's why I call him the old master. So your human spirit is personified by the Bible label old man. And then this indwelling sin is personified as a master who is served. And prior to salvation, at the core of your being, your spirit is in a relationship. It is joined. It is in a union with this old master of indwelling sin. You are chained shackled to that taskmaster of indwelling sin. And that relationship taints and defiles everything that an unsaved person does. You ever wonder why the Bible says plowing of the wicked is sin? Why? Because the best efforts of unsaved people are done in union with that old master of indwelling sin, which taints it and defiles it. And shows that at best it's self-dependence, which can only produce self-righteousness, which according to Isaiah 64 is a filthy rag that falls short of God's glory in Romans 3.23. Everything that an unsaved person does. They don't have good works, they have dead works. Now friends, that's amazing. So in that condition, God's on the outside of us. See, this is, the, this is the, the consequence of the fall of man when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And so now uh, we're born in this condition where our human spirit is in this relationship with this old master. You see, uh, we're born dead, you might say. That is, God's on the outside. We're separated from God. We're dead to God, but very much alive to sin. Separated from God joined to this old master of indwelling sin. And that's what Ephesians 2.1 is speaking of when it says dead in trespasses and sins. It's not talking about a corpse. That is a wrong idea. No, dead to God, separated from God, alive to sin. The guy's reveling. 
that in trespasses and sins, that's not a corpse, a corpse, that's someone who's separated from God, but joined to this old master of indwelling sin, tainting everything, even the best efforts that uh, unsaved people have, all of that is done in cahoots with that old master of indwelling sin. And the only way out of that relationship, the only way to get set free, to be unshackled, is for one of those partners to die. The only way out is death. So, third question. Who's the liberator? It says here, I am crucified. What's the next two words? Say it with me. I am crucified with Christ. Now, what does that mean? And how does that work? You see, Christ died for our sins. That's gospel truth, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. But friends, not only did he die for our sins, according to Romans 6 and verse 10, he, Jesus, died unto sin. See, we're joined to indwelling sin. We're chained, we're shackled, we can't get free on our own. We need Jesus to do this for us, and friends, he did. Because on the cross, not only did he die for our sins, he died unto sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, that presupposes that there was a time when he had come into union with our sin. There it is, crucifixion day. We're told from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the entire earth was darkened. Why? That's when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those are strong words. Why did Jesus say that? Friends, it is because in those hours, God the Son was functioning as the Son of Man. And he was separated from his Father, God the Father. Why? Because he was in union with us. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed and went on to say, yet not my will but thine be done. Sometimes people get a wrong idea of that. Jesus was not running from the cross. No way. He came to save sinners. It was the way of the cross. It was that for the very first time in all of eternity, Jesus would be separated from the Father an actual separation because he was in an actual contact with the dirt, stink, and filth of the entire human race from Adam and Eve to the last human being who will ever live. And that is why Jesus is called the last Adam. He's never called the second Adam. That's only in the songs. He's the last Adam in the scripture. It means the sins of the entire race. Now, friends, let this sink in. The sins of the entire race. I mean, just think of just one of us and all the sins we've ever committed and ever will commit. And, and, and you multiply that by the billions that have ever lived and are living right now and ever will live, and all of that conglomerate was put on Jesus, and it was actual. It wasn't just positional. It was actual. He was made sin for us. But before he voluntarily gave up his spirit, he cried with a loud voice, It is finished! And he died unto sin once. Now here's the beauty of this. The moment you believe on Jesus as your Savior, the moment you trust him as your savior from sin and hell, not only are all the wonderful salvation truths real that we often talk about, but at that moment when you trust Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit places you into Christ. You are baptized into Christ. You're placed in Christ. And friends, the moment you got placed into Christ, you got placed into his history, which means not only do you get a new future, you get a new past. Oh, wow, this gets exciting. When you got saved, you got placed into Jesus, which means you got placed into his history, which means you got placed into his death. 
and resurrection. So here it is. This is why I can say I am or have been crucified with Christ because the moment you got saved, you got placed into his history. You got placed into his death. And at that moment, you were crucified with Christ. You died with Christ. This, this relationship where you're shackled and chained to this stinking taskmaster uh, who defiles everything. At that moment, you died with Christ. You were set free. You were unshackled. Hallelujah. And that's an actual reality. You got severed. Death is separation. And you got severed from that old master of indwelling sin. Now, he still hangs around in our soul and body levels. That's why we have trouble. But at our core, we're not connected to him. He is no longer our authority. That old master is no longer our master. Crucifixion. Let's go to a second truth. Creation. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ. So there's crucifixion followed by resurrection and in that resurrection, creation. You say, what are you talking about? Well, there was a creation of new life. In other words, let's just take the three questions we looked at on crucifixion and ask parallel questions. The first question we asked was, what part of you got killed? What part of you died? Okay, so now let's ask a parallel question. What part of you got raised? Well, it's the part that got killed. <laughs> Literally, the old man died with Christ and was raised the new man. That part of you is your regenerated human spirit. Now think with me. That means the old man is gone forever. Now, the old master's hanging around, as I just mentioned, in your soul body levels. But the old man, the unregenerated human spirit, is now raised with Christ, the regenerated human spirit. And see, you can't have an unregenerated spirit and a regenerated spirit in the same body. That means the old man is gone forever. He's raised the new man. Well, what is this new man? Do you realize that's what the Bible's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when it says new creature? Literally new creation. That's why I say creation. You see, there's a creative act of God that took place when you were raised with Christ, this new man. Well, what happened in that creative act of God? Now, this is amazing, folks. In 1 John 3, 9, the Bible describes your regenerated human spirit with these words, God's seed. Now, let me get technical here for a second because you'll understand it. Stand it. The Greek word behind it is God's sperma. Do you know when you're born again, something of God's very own nature is implanted into you to seed. And do you know God's nature is righteous? Right? God's nature is holy. God's nature is loving. God's nature is good. And that nature was implanted into you the moment you got saved. Wow. And friends, that's a marvelous reality. It's actuality. It's not just a positional truth. Now, I thank God for positional truth. In other words, justification means you're declared righteous when you got saved, even though your soul and body haven't caught up yet. And your body's not going to be glorified until we get to heaven. So it's really behind. Sanctification is taking place on the soul level uh, in a certain sense. But in your spirit, you're completely saved. Why? It's God's nature. Right? That part of you is completely saved. That's why 1 John 3, 9 says, He, that new man part of you, cannot sin. You look at it, it's 1 John 3, 9. That's what it says. That's why 1 John 3, 6 says, He who abides in him does not sin. That means you can ignore the provision. You don't abide in Jesus, and yes, down you go. You and I sin. But when you abide in Jesus and access that provision, I'm going to tell you, he, that part of you can't sin. Why? It's God's nature. And it's going to get even better here in a second when we realize that the Holy Spirit moves into that part of us. But understand, there is this creation. This part of us is called in Ephesians 4.24, the new man, which after God, God's seed, is created, new creation, in righteousness and true holiness. Do you know at your core, if you are a child of God, if you are genuinely born again at your core, that centermost circle, that part of you is righteous. That part of you is holy. That's why God calls you a saint 63 times in our New Testament. 
And friends, the devil tries to lie to us and say, ah, oh, you're a loser, you're a dad, you're no good, and all this and all that. I'm going to tell you something, at your core, you are not a loser, you're a winner. Why? Because Christ won for you and put his nature in you. Man, it's called provision. It's glorious provision. That part of you is righteous. It's not just declared righteous, it is righteous. Now, friends, that's the creation of new life. But it gets even better. There's a creation of a new union or a new relationship. And so we'll ask the second question. On the first question, we asked what union got separated. Now let's ask what new union gets joined or is, is uh, created here. The Bible tells us that we die with Christ so that we might be raised with Christ so that, Romans 7, 4, we might be married, joined to another even to him who was raised from the dead. You see, there had to be a part of you made holy so the Holy Spirit could move in. And friends, that's where he moves in. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Fused to Jesus. Ah, yes. Just like the scripture says in Genesis and in Ephesians, husband and wife, one flesh. Okay, regenerated spirit, Holy Spirit, one spirit. Wow. You see, there is a new union. That old relationship uh, has been forever severed. That old relationship with indwelling sin is forever severed. The new relationship with the indwelling Christ is forever sealed. No longer is God on the outside. Uh, No longer are we dead to God, separated from God, and alive to sin, joined to sin. Now we're dead to sin. We died with Christ unto sin. We are unshackled and severed. And now the Holy Spirit has moved in so that we're dead to sin and alive to God, separated from that old master and joined to the new master. Now, friends, that's called sinless provision. And don't misunderstand what I said. I didn't say sinless perfectionism. I realize that you and I can ignore all of this and and cave into the flesh and look like what we're not. Because unsaved flesh and saved flesh looks exactly alike. But the truth of the matter is, it is a sinless provision. God's nature is planted in, in planted to you. His nature, uh, which is righteous and holy, and then the Holy Spirit of Jesus himself moves in to lead and empower from that uh, 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 center and core of our being. And friends, that means we're dead to sin. I used to wonder, what does it mean to be dead to sin? It means actually separation. We're severed from that old master, and now we're joined to the new master. The old master was forced labor. We were chained. The new master, he doesn't force us. He even lets us, if we're foolish enough, go serve the old master as if we're chained to him when we're not. Because the new master doesn't want a mechanical, robotic situation. He wants a love relationship where we follow his leadership and trust his power. And so that brings us then to who's the life giver. Obviously, his name is Jesus. He says, I nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ. You see, the Christian life is not a set of doctrines. The Christian life is not a set of moral actions. Unsaved moralists have that. The Christian life is a life, a person, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is the Christian life himself, which means no one can live the Christian life but Christ. But here's the good news. When you got saved, Christ, the Christian life himself, moved in. Implanting into you his divine nature and then moving in with his spirit. I'm telling you, friends, that means the Christian life himself moved in. And he moved in to live his life, not yours. And when we live ours, we hide his. When we save our life, we lose it because it will be manifested at the judgment seat. And though we're saved, we're saved yet so as by fire. But I'm telling you, when you lose your life, you find it. Why? Because when you say no to self, when you say no to that old master, because uh, he's not your master anymore, you access the real master, and that's when you save your life. That's the gold, silver, and precious stones that'll pass the test of the judgment seat fires. So that old relationship with indwelling sin is forever severed. The new relationship with the indwelling Christ is forever sealed. You see, the Christian life is a person. It's not your best for God, as noble as that sounds. It's his best in you. Radical difference. You see, 
The Christian life is not a matter of imitating Christ. You and I can't imitate Christ. It's not imitation, it's impartation. It's impartation. You see, and when the Spirit imparts to you the very life of Jesus, you're experiencing Jesus. You're becoming partakers of the divine nature. You see, Jesus is the last Adam taking all of our sin to the cross. He's also called the second man because he started a new race with his nature now implanted into us and his spirit moving in to lead and empower. And when we walk by faith based on the word, then that spirit part of it us is raised up to rule over the soul and body levels. Now, that old master's still hanging around. That's why sometimes, well, not just sometimes, often, <laughs> we are aware of a battle. And, you know, what's funny about this is, you know, we use, we use analogies like this. Maybe you've heard this, and, and if you have, and if you've used this, don't feel bad. I, you know, I used to use it too. <laughs> uh, but the analogy goes like this, this battle between the flesh and the spirit, between that old master operating, seeking to operate in our flesh and the new master in our spirit. We liken the battle between two dogs. You ever heard that illustration? Whichever one you feed the most, whichever one you favor the most, that's the one that wins. Okay, there's part of that illustration's helpful. You and I make choices that make a radical difference because we're responsible. But here's the part that's harmful. Do we not in our mind's eye picture two dogs the same size? Just think about it. Now, I don't know what your dogs look like, but the two in my mind are big. <laughs> the problem is they're the same size. That would imply that they're equals, which means some of the time it's going to go this way and some of the time it's going to go this way. That's a wrong idea, and ideas matter because it's not accurate. The old master and the new master are not equals at all. Look, not even a chihuahua. One of those yappy little dogs. Forgive me if you have one. <laughs> Versus a Rottweiler or something along those lines. Not even that would give us a right picture. Yes, on the one hand, there's our flesh where that old master seeks to operate. We're quite familiar with that. But on the other hand, there's our spirit. What you say, is that your regenerated spirit or the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. <laughs> because remember, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And friends, the fact is, your spirit, as we've noted, is a new creation. It's God's nature, righteous and holy, loving and good, and so much more implanted into you. And uh, not only that, you're joined to the spirit of Jesus, according to Romans 7, 4, the spirit of him who was raised from the dead, the spirit of the Jesus who finished the work at the cross, who was exalted to the right hand of the Father, who sits right now far above all principality and all power and all might and all dominion. It is the spirit of that conquering, triumphant, glorious, victorious Jesus that moved in and joined our spirit. And when we access him, it's a done deal. The chihuahua of the flesh doesn't stand a chance. Now, that brings us to the third truth. How does this play out? Counteraction. We've seen crucifixion, creation, now counteraction. It says here, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth, lives in me. So what's happening when that happens? Well, it's stated positionally in Romans 8, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So it's not saying the law of sin and death is no longer there, but you're made free from it. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That is, a greater law, the law of the spirit, counteracts and overcomes a lesser law, the law of sin. It's stated practically in the same chapter, Romans 8, verse 13. If ye, through the spirit, do put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You see, some of the men who wrote articles in what we call the fundamentals call this the principle of counteraction, where a greater law counteracts and overcomes a lesser law. To illustrate, in the physical realm, we are all familiar with the law of gravity, a downward tendency toward planet Earth, so that we're not bumping around, you know, like in space and, and uh, so forth. Uh, no, there's that law of gravity, that downward tendency toward planet Earth. If we throw a rock in the air, up in the air, we know it's coming back down. Why? Because of the law of gravity. But there are greater laws. 
Law of aerodynamics. I'm banking on that one every time I step on a plane. But how about this? How about the law of hot air rising? To put it in non-scientific terms, that's what hot air balloons are banking on. And you know when a hot air balloon is filled up and ready to go and they uh, unclip the rope, that balloon soars skyward. What's happening? Well, it's the law of hot air rising, which is the greater law to counteract and overcome the law of gravity. And a little child in school who's just learned about gravity, when he sees the balloon go up, I say, wow, look at that. There's no more law of gravity. Well, now, wait a second. We know there's still a law of gravity. It's just that a greater law, the law of how to rising, is counteracting and overcoming a lesser law. Now, <clears throat> I want you to use your imagination. Can you do that? I want you to imagine that you're going to take a hot air balloon ride. And you know, you arrive at the scene, here's this giant balloon, and uh, they're getting everything ready, and they finally tell you to get in the basket, and so you step into the basket, and uh, uh, so forth. And uh, uh, when they're all ready to go, the pilot reaches out, he unclips the rope, and the moment he does, that balloon just soars skyward. And when it does, you do. Why? Because you're in the basket. And as long as you're in that basket, you're accessing the dynamics involved as that law of hot air rising counteracts and overcomes the law of gravity. You benefit from it because you're staying in the basket. And suppose you're enjoying the ride, and uh, here's a beautiful day, and you see San Francisco, and uh, you see this part uh, uh, of the country, you try to find your house, you know, just enjoying yourself. Then you look at your watch and think, wow, look at this. Man, I've been suspended in air for, for an hour. You know, never in my life have I been suspended in midair like this for 60 minutes in a row. And you might literally get a, a little bold and get a little cocky and think, you know, I don't think the law of gravity has any more power over me, and so you boldly step out of the basket. And as you are plummeting downwards, you realize, oh, wait a second, the law of gravity is still out there. So what's the key? Stay in the basket. Exactly. Stay in the basket. Keep depending on the basket. May I word it this way? Keep abiding in the basket. Why? Because every moment, not just some or even most, but literally every moment that you are staying in the basket, abiding in the basket, then you're accessing the dynamics involved. And as that law of hot air rising counteracts and overcomes the law of gravity, you benefit from it because you're staying in the basket. Now let's make the analogy, and I hope you're well ahead of me. The law of sin is like the law of gravity. The law of the spirit, the greater law, like the law of hot air rising. In our illustration, the basket would be parallel to Christ because we're commanded to abide in Christ. To use our analogy, to stay in the basket. And when you do, you access the spiritual dynamics involved. And just like the hot air counteracts and overcomes the gravity, that law of the spirit of life in Christ lifts you supernaturally. There's that supernatural left that counteracts and overcomes that law of sin, that chihuahua of the flesh. And friends, that's powerful. And when this happens, it's just like Rosalind. It's life-changing. Now, even if you've never understood what I've just described, if you have been saved for any length of time at all, there's at least been some moments, undoubtedly, when you've experienced this. You ever wonder why some unsaved people, especially those who get saved as adults, maybe have some baggage of the world, in some cases when they get saved, the baggage just falls away? The bad habits and this and that. You know why? Well, to get saved, they had to look unto Jesus. And some of them just kept looking unto Jesus. In our illustration, that's staying in the basket. And they accessed Jesus, and guess what? He doesn't have any of those bad habits. <laughs> that's why they fall away. But what happens sometimes is they stop looking unto Jesus, and down they go. And even when you have what we sometimes describe as a wilderness wandering, are there not those moments when you just get so sick of it and so desperate, you go to God and say, God, I can't take this anymore. you got to do something. You know what that is? That's faith. You just got back in the basket. And there's a supernatural lift. In other words, sometimes we accidentally happen into faith through desperation. <laughs> but because we don't understand what's going on, as soon as the pressure of the crisis is passed, we're prone to wander <laughs> right out of the basket and down we go. 
That's why some people are thinking, wow, you know, I've been defeated. And yesterday I had victory. Man, that was a big shock. (laughs) And now I'm back to the defeat. They don't understand. But when you understand that the way you get in the basket, a choice of faith is the way you stay in the basket. More choices of faith. It's called walking by faith. It's called abiding. Staying in the basket, to use our illustration. When you understand that, you keep accessing grace. And that's why Rosalind could be months later still transformed. It didn't just last for a day or two or a week or two and then phase out and be gone. No, no, no. She began to be transformed uh, from glory to glory as we saw this morning, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Why? Because she kept depending on Jesus. She kept accessing Jesus. And friends, when that happens, as one man said to me, he said, John, he said, I'm 53 years old. He said, I used to think that there are certain sins that, you know, you know that everybody has their besetting sins, and that's just the way it has to be. And by the way, if you think that, that's what you'll have because you're giving the ground. He said, but, he said, I've been reading some books on the Spirit for life by authors like Andrew Murray, whom I mentioned this morning. And he said, he said, I'm almost afraid to say this. And he looks around like this. He says, but I have experienced victory over certain sins for the last six months that I didn't know was possible this side of heaven. Man, hallelujah. And friends, when that happens, it is glorious. But if you're not careful, you can get cocky. You think, wow, I've got a whole new experience of victory. You know, I don't even think that law of sin is even out there anymore. And you just stepped out of the basket. (laughs) And down you go. By the way, the higher you soar, the farther you have to fall. So what's the key? Stay in the basket. (laughs) We're getting it. (laughs) Stay in the basket. Keep depending on Christ. Keep abiding in Christ. Why? Because every moment, not just some or even most, but literally every moment that you're depending on Christ, you're abiding in Christ, you're staying in the basket, you're accessing that powerful law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that frees you, that counteracts and overcomes the law of sin and death. That's how it works. I first began to use this illustration in 1999. My home church, we moved to Ann Arbor as our home base in 1998. And because I started using this illustration, they uh, decided to uh, surprise my wife and I with a hot air balloon ride. It was kind of ironic because when I first started using this illustration, my wife said to me one day, she said, you know, John, if you ever go on a hot air balloon ride, I want you to know you'll be going by yourself. (laughs) But because they arranged it as a big surprise, you know, she had to go along with it. And I think enjoyed it as much as anybody. But we get to the scene and we didn't know it, but here's the church. I mean, they all wanted to watch this. So the whole congregation's out there and we're on, you know, someplace that does this. And here's the balloon. And at this point, the balloon was flat on the ground. It wasn't blown up yet. I'd never seen that before. And so there it was. And, and they're taking these little helium balloons and they're watching them. And then when they go like this, they're making notations and, and uh, they're trying to explain, you know, the streams and this and that, whatever. And uh, then it was time to fill up the hot air balloon with hot air. So they got all the ladies of the church to come over and start talking. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> you say, you got out of the basket. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> But they got the balloon filled up, and uh, then they said, all right, it's time to, to step in. Now, for me, it was one basic, you know, one giant step from Mary Lynn. It was two or three small steps that we stepped into the basket. It was also our pastor, actually, my brother-in-law and uh, my sister. They got in, so it was the four of us, and uh, then the fifth man was the pilot. And so he looked around and said, are you ready? And we all giggled with that nervous giggle and said yes, even if we weren't. <laughs> And I watched his arm reach out, and just with his thumb, he unclipped the rope. And I mean, in a split second, there was that whoosh (laughs) as that balloon just, I mean, just soared skyward. And it's like you're 100 feet in the air, just like that. And you're watching that ground recede quickly. And you're rising quickly by a power not your own. What a picture. And do you know, as we took the ride that day, there was no struggle. Those hot air balloons go with the wind. (laughs) And if we would learn to go with the wind of the Spirit, (laughs) what a difference it would make. And do you know that just as we had to choose to get in the basket, we had to keep choosing throughout that ride to stay in the basket. Now, when we were way up there, quite frankly, that was an easy choice. (laughs) And if we would realize the actualities, it would make it a whole lot easier. 
came into a church one night where I had just preached this the night before, and I asked the fellow, I don't know why I asked him, <laughs> I said, hey, did you stay in the basket today? He said, well, he said, I got out. He said, but I got right back in. Well, praise the Lord. You stumble, don't wallow in it. That's Satan's lie. Get honest. Let the blood clean you up and get right back in. See, getting honest, that's walking in the light. And trusting Jesus, that's walking in the Spirit. And friends, when that happens, there's that counteraction. As the law of the Spirit of life in Christ frees us and liberates us from the law of sin and death. And that brings us to the final truth tonight, cooperation. Cooperation. In the life which I now live, and here the phrase in the flesh simply means in the mortal body. He says, I live by faith. 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 Faith in Jesus. Just like you got saved by faith, you grow by faith. I live by faith. Interesting. It's not try harder. It's keep trusting. Just like you trusted to receive the life of Jesus, trust to access that life. You say, what do you mean trust? Well, let's break the trust into two steps of trusting. If you're saved, is Christ already living in you? Is he? Absolutely. So do you need to ask Christ to live in you? No. Asking is when the Bible words something as a promise. A shall be or a will be because that means it's not is. Does that make sense? So promises must be obtained through faith and the first step is asking in most cases. But this isn't a promise. It's more than a promise. This is a fact. This is more than a potentiality, a will be or a shall be. This is a reality. And when you ask Christ to live in you, it means you don't believe he is. Now, God's merciful and says, well, why don't you just take what you're asking for because it's already there. But you can save a lot of time. <laughs> and friends, when you're getting tempted, you don't have time to mess around. You don't have time for a promise that's delayed. You need provision right now. And he's already there. His nature in you and his spirit. The Bible words it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God which giveth. Let me word it literally. Thanks be to God who is giving us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same truth as Galatians 2.20. Christ lives, is living in me. That's not a potentiality. That's not a promise. That's a fact. It's a reality, okay? So if he is giving us the victory, Jesus living in us, if he's giving, then what should we be doing? Receiving, taking. You know, if somebody hands you a $100 bill, say, I want to give this to you. You take it and say thank you. The thank you means you believe you have received. Then you act on it. So essentially, it's two steps. You take and then act. Now, if you act without taking, you don't have anything to spend. And the same is true spiritually. If you just go through the motions of Christianity without taking the life of Jesus, it's just fakery. At best, it's the form of godliness there, and there is a form, but it denies the power thereof. But when you take first, then when you act, now your, your actions are animated by the life of Jesus. You ever need patience? I do. You know, I'm 55. I got saved at 6. But I'm going to tell you, if I don't trust Jesus, I'm in trouble. My family knows what it's like if I don't. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. When you take Jesus, he's patient. See, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know what that is? The opposite of short-suffering. We call it patience. I grew up in a family of uh, five siblings. I've got two brothers, two sisters. My father used to, I'm four in the lineup of five. My father used to say, you know, John has the worst temper. That would make me so mad. <laughs> and if I don't take, I'm in trouble. But friends, he's there. And when we take, then when we act, he frees us. It's not just striving in the flesh where, where we say, Oh, victory. I didn't say anything even though I really wanted to. <laughs> no, that's not victory. That's just biting your tongue. That's flesh. That's imitation. 
Victory is not even wanting to lash back out. Because you access Jesus. Here's the temptation, impurity. You have it all over the place with magazines, pictures, billboards, whatever, whatever. And we can take his purity. That's the first step. And then when we act on it, he frees us to look the other way and be free from what we saw as if we didn't see it. That's not the same as you just striving in the flesh to look the other way. Yeah, your head may go this way, but your heart's still over there. But when you take and then act, you experience Jesus. Do we get it? That's how it works. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is experiencing Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. I do mean that. And uh, appreciate your allowing me to take a little extra time since we're a little earlier tonight to seek to be thorough, at least to some extent, on a truth that has so much and obviously so much more. But I wonder who would say tonight, you know what? Already this morning, perhaps God was convicting you about trying to do the Christian life in your own strength, in your own power. We dealt with the negative side, but tonight we see the positive side. Christ's power is there. It's him. It's the same Jesus who walked our planet 2,000 years ago, and he still is in your spirit. And I wonder who tonight would say, Preacher, I have been foolish enough to just try to live the Christian life in my own strength and my own power. And I, I, I'm beginning to see and realize, and yes, God is convincing me that, wait a second, the provision of Jesus is in me. And what a relief. That takes the struggle out of it. I can go with the wind of the Spirit, and God is opening my eyes. If that's you, would you raise the hand tonight? Yes, 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 yes. God bless. I wonder who would say, Preacher, you know, like Rosalind, irritable, quick-tempered, angry, impatient. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's some other issue. Maybe it's uh, bitterness. Maybe it's vice. Maybe it's some addiction, some bad habit. And on and on we could go. There's so much, obviously. Some aspect of the world that is strangling you, sapping you of spiritual vitality. And you'd say tonight... You know, I just used to think, like the one preacher said, that, you know, that everybody has to have their besetting sin. And I realized tonight, wait a second, there's hope. If I access Jesus, he doesn't have that. If I access Jesus, I access victory. And friends, that's the truth. That's the liberating truth. You have been set free. You are unshackled from that old master. You're joined to the new master, but he waits for us to trust him, to take him. So that when we act, it's not I, but Christ. I wonder who would say, preacher, God's speaking to me. Not just about trying to live right on my own power. God's speaking to me because of all the times when I just rationalize and said, well, what's the use? And, and I've, I've uh, kind of indulged the flesh or pandered to the flesh in some way. And I see that that doesn't have to continue. There actually is a provision for victory. And I need to start taking it. And acting on it so that I experience the victorious life of Jesus. God speaking to me about something specific. Would you raise the hand please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. God bless you tonight. That's wonderful. Now. Maybe you're here tonight. And you are still in the relationship with the old master of indwelling sin. In other words, you're not saved. See, salvation is not just a matter of getting you to heaven. It's a matter of getting Jesus into you. And so, yes, he died for our sins. He died unto sin. All the provision is there, but it's not applied to you until you believe on him. Not just about him. The devils, the demons believe about him and tremble, the Bible says. It's believing on him where you actually trust him alone to save you from sin and hell. I wonder who would say, preacher, that's my need. And if all of this is possible, wow, I need Jesus to move in. I've never been born again. Uh, that, that whole idea uh, of, of that old, your human spirit, that old man being unshackled from the old master, I, that's where I'm at. I need, I need that set free moment. 
I need the nature of God implanted in me, and I need the Holy Spirit to move in. I wonder who would say, Preacher, that's my need. Would you raise the hand, please? Now, Father, would you bless in these final moments? Give us wisdom for the close of the service. Lord, I pray that we would be honest. Honest with you. Honest about the areas in our life when we indulge the flesh and cater to the flesh and pamper the flesh and excuse ourselves and become desensitized. Lord, may we get honest about the areas of life where we're trying to do right, but it's just us trying in our own strength. Lord, whether it's unrighteousness or self-righteousness, whether it's irreligiousness or religiousness without you, Lord, may we get honest about the futility of the flesh, religious flesh or irreligious flesh. Lord, may we get honest about the amazing provision of your nature implanted into us and your spirit moving in to lead us as our personal guide and to empower us as our personal generator for everything that you call us to do. Lord, may we get honest and allow your blood to clean us up. But Lord, may we move beyond that to staying in the basket. So Lord, I pray, do something that goes far beyond this invitation. Friends, with our heads bowed, if God's speaking to you, let me encourage you, talk to God. If you'd like to slip to your knees where you're at, feel free to do that. If you want to come and get on your knees up here, feel free to do that. But let's not miss the moment. It's truth that makes free. And Jesus is truth personified. It's Jesus who makes free. If we get honest about where we're choosing something else, acting like Jesus is not enough, the blood of Jesus will clean us up. We'll get honest about our need of Him and take Him. And friends, you'll begin a whole new experience of His reviving life. And yes, if we stumble, we can get honest. He cleans us up. We can get right back in the basket. Would you take some time right now where you're at or come up here, get on your knees, whatever you feel comfortable with, but would you talk to God about what He's talking to you about? Honest, and then begin to trust and be transformed. You may experience the same. It's experiencing Jesus. Lord, bless your truth to our hearts. And Lord, in the moment of need, Spirit of the Living God, remind us at that moment to take, say thank you, so that when we act, we experience the supernatural lifting life of Jesus Christ. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. You may look this way. 